0: On today's episode, Dave interviews Kim Howard Johnson. Kim is a friend and collaborator with Monty Python, is one of the original members of Baron's Barracuda's, the first Herald team in Chicago, and co-author of Truth in Comedy and the funniest one in the room, a biography of improv legend, Del Close. On location in Chicago, I'm Ian e. Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. I saw Bob Hope after perform it when I was at Illinois State, and I did one of his very final interviews before he... He kicked off. Uh, one, one on one. Yeah, it was a phone interview. A phone was, interview. A phone interview, but it was really weird. I was doing this radio show up up in uh, station in Schaumburg, I think it was, and it was a pop culture radio show. And we were, you know, we've been doing it for a few months. We were starting to get established, and our our publicist, who also did our bookings, you know, said he's got a TV special coming up, you know, in a couple of days. You know, do you want to interview him? I said sure. And so I go ahead, and you know, and he said, "He's you got to speak up a little bit." Because Bob's No, Bob was ninety-three or ninety-four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I said, and then I don't know who it was I talked to. One of his, one of his handlers or whatever at that point. And he said, and basically he walked me through the whole thing. He said, first to to you ask, first you ask him about this, and then he'll say that. Then you ask him about this, and then you, yeah, and then we went right down the line." And I <laughs> it thought, was spontaneous. At ninety-three years old, do I? Want him to improvise. Right. And I kind of like tried to veer a little bit off the subject, and all i get was, ha! Ah, right. Ah, no, we're not no, supposed to do that! No, no, no.
1: So, uh, to have the old guys improvise, the comedy that we, that you and I, well, certainly the comedy that we did it at uh, the Improv Olympic, the comedy that we did at Improv Olympic, and to have somebody like Dell, uh, just so awesome to talk to you hard, have somebody like Dell. Guiding all of us in that way because really he was People ask me. What was it like to work with him? And what was it like to? Uh, uh, what was it like to work with him? And I didn't realize it until really reading your uh, this interview that you did how much he guided us into what our humor is and it's all intelligent and it's all listening and connected and patient yeah, and so someone like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, for example, they're not going to have that. Obviously, they're not going to have that patience because that was from a different time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was strange. I, when we were living in Santa Barbara back when I was working for John, John Cleese. I, John Cleese. Yeah, our Cleese. next door neighbor, uh, Ted. T- oh man, Ted was like ninety-five at the time, mm-hmm. and he had been a sound guy. And he'd work for the old radio shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, did, he used to work for Bing Crosby, used to work for uh, Burns and Allen, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he would tell all the stories. Right. And some, some of these guys could go with it, and some of them, some of them couldn't. Mm-hmm. Bob, I heard another good Bob Hope story. Uh, the guy who used to write a lot of his jokes, and he would tour in England, uh, John Cleese and I had dinner with him one night because he was an old friend of John's, he's an older guy, and he would say, you know, eventually at one point, you know, he would tra- He traveled with him when he was going here or there, and Bob Hope calls him up and, you know, he says, I need some jokes for, you know, so-and-so. We're, you know, we're doing this thing. where are it, and it, it's like, it's not a show, it's a barbecue. Mm-hmm. Somebody's backyard, you know, big old barbecue. And so he's over there, and So Bob, Bob- Hope's asking you to have
1: jokes that to do at the barbecue? Yeah, and, so, and he was there at That's barbecue. Few, I'm sorry, I, I need a second just to wrap my head around. <laughs> no, but, but the fact that people do that, the idea that I'm going over to somebody's house, tell me something
0: interesting to talk about. Yes, yeah, except it got even stranger because he was there and he started doing the jokes and he looks over and he sees Bob is like staring at this one spot and there's somebody in the bushes with cue cards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't bother you. True story. True story. Absolutely. Swear to God. Yeah. So that's what these guys were like. They know. didn't. And then we
1: come up with what we're doing because um, you guys were the first, Barons of Recruiters was the first Chicago Herald team.
0: Yes. That's yes
1: crazy. We okay. Yeah. So we look at what you were doing, doing something that hadn't ever been done before with someone that you just trusted. You know what I mean? No net. We know, no net. Um, and then you look at that and how different that is than what it was prior to that.
0: We were I mean we were living in kind of a golden age. I know. That I, that was,
1: you said that in the in the review and I and I and I look at none review, the story. Uh-huh. The story. You you said that and I totally agree with that. And you also said this and I'm cutting you off because I want to. And uh-huh. we
0: didn't you don't know it while you're in the middle of it. That's Exactly right. You don't appreciate what you've got at the time. You kind of do sometimes. Didn't you appreciate it? Yeah, not fully. You didn't fully appreciate it. We appreciated what Dell was given to us. Right. So this, this but didn't knowledge. you guys appreciate, didn't you appreciate, uh,
1: you fuckers blew me away <laughs> every single time I saw you. Thank you. Thank you. We... Didn't always blow everybody away. I don't <laughs> I care, kind of but you were, you you were an inspiration to so many people. You were an inspiration to so many people watching it because you guys, Baron Kudis is up there. No one else is doing that. Let's remember that, yeah, yeah, so, and I'm sitting there with a bunch of other people and we're watching and we're going, how does i I don't how does this happen?
0: Well, you know, it was it was weird. I had been studying with Dell longer than any of those guys during that period because I'd studied with Dell maybe a year before, like Barnes and Beltsman came Chris up Barnes from and Detroit. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we tried a few experiments. We tried for a few weeks. I, I, I think Bob Odenkirk was. Working with us then, Bob had kind of like drifted in and out of Dell's classes. We tried slow comedy, and we tried to structure it like a Herald, but we did it as slow comedy. Didn't quite work for performance. Right. And so when we finally got the group together, that to Joe Pasquazi and the Dave Pasquazi and Joel Murray came along. And Brian um, Crane. And well, well, there was two Brian incarnations. Later? There were two incarnations uh-huh. of the Barracudas. Um, it was uh, the, the, the original group was. Uh, Pasquazi, Joel Murray, um, J.J. Jones, right, um, and then yeah, Mark beltsman Chris Barnes, myself. No women. Think Honor was there toward the end. Honor Finnegan. Yeah, I think Honor joined us. Toward Have you the heard her music? She's well, I've York. heard her sing before. Yeah, I, I mean, heard like, her music. God, she's so great. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, she's got an incredible voice. Of oh, course, God. But keep going. Yeah, um, but then uh, originally. Sharna created the teams, right? And she put the Barons Barracudas together. And originally, Pasquazi wasn't there; wasn't a Barracuda for the first couple of weeks uh-huh. with Tara Gallagher right. and Jack Wells. Uh-huh. I don't team. remember Jack Wells. But that, you didn't remember uh-huh. yeah, he didn't last long. Yeah, I mean, we were just like revving on all cylinders, and Jack couldn't keep up. The poor guy. See, guy. that's the
1: only—that's the greatest thing, right there—is to go to, looking at that and saying. I think a lot of a lot of improv groups go, we gotta have this guy or we gotta have that person. And then when that person doesn't gel, we've gotta get rid of them. Yeah. I hate to say it because the only I've said it before, the only mistake you make in improvisation is casting. Because that's it. You just need one guy or woman who doesn't match yeah. everyone else's sensibility yeah. to throw everything off. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: absolutely right. That's, and Jack might have been a nice guy. Yeah, but he just, you know, we had we had this big uh, big, big pond, and he had to pluck out half of the fish for one, half of the fish for the other. Team. Right. And uh, and Sharna, fortunately, was our hatchet man. She right. Would, she kind of did it all before know. we even knew what was going when on. When did John Judd come in? John Judd came in with a team called Apocalypso. Uh-huh. What happened was, I mean, there were, let's see... J.J. Barnes, Beltzman, and I think Pasquese, uh, and possibly Joel. They were doing this show at Gaspar's. Uh, we had been doing another show at Kiku's with most of the same Jesus people. Jesus Christ. Cliff Katsky. Cliff, my <laughs> God, if you're listening— uh, it's it was it was wonderful. But but did, but when you were doing Gaspar's and when you're doing Kikus, which is
1: a Japanese joint, right, that had mm-hmm. a little th- a little stage, yeah. right, and Gaspar's had a little stage too. When you were doing those little things, were you was this simultaneous to going at
0: Improv Olympic, or this was before Improv Olympic? It had to be simultaneous. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to remember because I don't. I think we started. Out Tuesday nights and then we did Tuesdays and Saturdays. Uh-huh. I think it was Tuesdays and Fridays. Mm-hmm. At but Gaspar's or at Improv Olympics? At Improv You had more than one night. Well yeah, not initially. Right. But we Sharna quickly muscled us in there. Right. So we did uh, we did two nights a week. I don't think we ever did more than two nights a week unless uh-huh. it was come up some kind of a special occasion. Two nights a week. Yeah. No one does two nights a week anymore.
1: There's no, no team. You know I there's yeah. no one does that. When you go when it's, you say okay, Dazariski, which is you know I don't know if you know those guys, but Dazarisky does one did one night a week, and uh, there was a, another show that did one night a week. But to do two shows a week,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I know. I hear this nowadays, and I, I can't believe it. I've been working with the uh, the improv team at Illinois State University, mm-hmm. the Improv Mafia. I've been coaching them, and they're practicing like you know three, four, five nights a week. Oh my they're god, they are doing shows. They're really good. I'd like to take all the credit for that, but it's just the fact that you well, know, the fact that their all so
1: dedication, much. the dedication and practicing so much, and listening to each other, and working on a subdermal level, yeah, and it's and and and, and to watch what you guys were doing, where where. Everyone was listening on this level that was 3D chess. So I'm watching what you're doing. I'm also paying attention to the inventory that we had prior to the scene, um, that, that we've already established while the scene is going on. And you're working on this arc
0: without looking at the arc. And everything is coming together. And the other thing that really kicked us up to the next level, I think, was the fact that Del was really excited, really involved, really interested Mm -hmm. in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Because in later years, you know, his interest kind of came and went a little bit. Right. Uh, But this was the very first thing he was trying to craft for the Olympic, for for Performance. How about that? Right? And everyone went, okay. What are you doing? Okay. Yeah. And we just, you know, he would... You know, he, he would hone in on exactly what was happening up on stage. He was very clear minded at that time. Clean. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean he was smoking and clean. all that,
1: but you know, he was very clean. And I think that how old was he then? In his fifties, right?
0: Uh barely fifty. I think when I first started, he might have even been close to fifty. Oh. Uh, he was born in nineteen thirty-four, and this would have been nineteen eighty-four. So yeah. Yeah, there you go, fifty. Right. Yeah. Uh, Again
1: with the fifty. We were talking about fifty earlier. Gordon. Yeah, fifty
0: a, a good year. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, I yeah i I had a great fiftieth year. Right. You know, I started it in in Sydney, Australia. I'm doing the climbing the Sydney Bay Bridge. And, and look at what, and, and to, to look at to look at where we've all gone. Because I talk about this a lot on the podcast is to go to look at where we've
1: all gone and to look at the, opportu- the opportunities, the opportunities, the things that we were exposed to which are different than opportunities. Yeah. For me, I feel
0: like we're exposed to everything. What is it that grabs you? Yeah, I mean, by this age, you pretty much know what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you can do. Uh, Because I've always said, and I can't remember who said this originally, but, you know, when you look at life, I didn't end up where I thought I wanted to go, but I ended up where I should be. You end up where you are. <laughs> Whether yeah. you should be here or not, that doesn't matter. Who the
1: fuck is to say that? But it goes back to the sense, the idea of having expectations is always going to lead to an imbalance because you're, this is what I think it should be and this is what it is. And sometimes it meshes, most times it doesn't. Yeah. And it goes, again, we, we, we go, uh, who would have thought that that which we were that which what we were doing in 82 83 84 would be considered
0: the golden age oh yeah yeah i mean we had no idea we had so I had less of an idea than most, I think, because I'd gone through some of this stuff before with D.I.O. and with Dell and Sharna. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd gone through it for a, a year or so, a right. year and a half almost, just kind of spinning our wheels. Right. And I thought, well, we'll try this next thing. And, right. You know, who knows? So you were there when many weren't. You oh, yeah. You what I mean? Oh, I was there before just about anybody from the group that. Stuck with it, I think. Right, yeah, I'm the dinosaur. You are the dinosaur yeah. in that,
1: yeah. but you're more that you're you're not the dinosaur. You're the lizard because dinosaurs are dead, and you're still around.
0: I'm the small furry mammal that kind of runs around stealing the eggs from the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a
1: lot of people think that about
0: you. <laughs> I I
1: look at I look at because there's so much that you remember that I don't remember. But there was like two be present two Dell's classes. And to be present to Sharna and the show and Steve Burroughs opening the show with the saw and when ImprovOlympic was a competitive sport, you know, and voting and all that. And this is what I've been thinking about lately. I've mentioned it before. Sharna does not get half or a quarter or an eighth of the credit that she deserves. Yeah, I need mean, coffee. You want coffee? Uh, yes, please. Okay, uh, cream. Yes. Keep, keep talking it. because we have we're on mics. Uh, but then, keep But Shauna does not get. Uh, I'm. i i uh, By the way, if anybody's listening, I'm at my mom's house. You know, we're not, we're not <laughs> we're in the my kitchen. We're, yeah, we're in the kitchen. Yeah, we're it's, not, it's, I'm not in LA. We commandeered so,
0: the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, so you're you're absolutely right because the thing about was when Dell died in '99, mm-hmm. you know, everybody kind of sat back and thought, okay, this is it. Is the whole thing going to die now? Right. And, and people did think that? I didn't think that. Well, I mean, without Dell, I mean, Dell was the marquee name there. Right. And Dell was the one. I mean, this was, right. you know, he was the guy. Right. And, you know, could she keep it going? And she didn't just keep it going. I mean, the whole thing just mushroomed. Well, but what does that say? For me, that says a lot about the
1: people that she surrounded herself with.
0: Yeah! Oh, yeah! 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 Absolutely! And they didn't want to let it die. Well, it, it, that and also, uh, so there's
1: you. People came and left, but you stuck around, right? People, when you were like through all, the, yeah. all throughout that whole thing, you mm-hmm. were like, I, "I feel something here. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to stay here." And while you're doing that, you're gathering information, you're gathering confidence, you're seeing what's going on, and that's what led you to be uh, part, uh, led you to to, to uh, co-write the book. Uh, truth in Comedy, yeah. because you have this background and you understand the foundation and the bedrock of it all. And in that way, you're able to communicate it in that way. And Sharna and Dell had those people like you and like Noah and like all these other Miles Stroth and like all these other people. They, they held on
0: to it. So when Dell died, all that died was Dell. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Dell, I mean, what I always marveled at with him was the way. He was never content to just kind of rest on his laurels. I'm, how many people now, and I don't know if you probably don't hear it, but I hear it. People now saying, Well,
1: Dell wouldn't want that. And I'm like, You <laughs> fucking don't even know what you're talking <laughs> about.
0: And it's like, when which Dell? You know, was it the Dell in 1983 when I started? Was it the Dell in 1987 when he was directing us in Honor Finnegan? Mm-hmm. Was it the Dell, you know, in the early 90s when he was working with so-and-so? And you know, right. yeah, and there were a lot of different Dells. There um, were a lot of different, but there's a lot of different us. Yeah, oh, And yeah, if you yeah. want to put me in amber, I'm going to go, why the fuck do you
1: want to do that?
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'm not going to be amber I'm giving you an amber alert.
0: The thing so about I did that, that, I good.
1: fucking lift like a motherfucker. I love that. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing I love about Deldo, he was never content. You know, yeah. He was always pushing the form, trying new things. The greatest thing about his classes, I don't know how much he was doing this when you were... Well, when I went to class 30, in 84. 80, okay. 80, 80, oh, 80, oh, well, yeah. I was there. You know, he would read something, you know, in a Theodore Sturgeon novel, and he'd walk in it, and he'd just say, well, let's try this. Yep. You know, I just read this. he grouped group mind. You know, let's let's see what happens. Right. And, and then he, in that, we went, what's that guy's name? And then we wrote that down. And then it's like, Joseph Campbell. Who the
1: fuck would have read Joseph Campbell if it wasn't for him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think, well, I, I don't know that I would have. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, Doug was always way ahead of the curve. And he inspired all of us. And for me, he inspired me in a way... In the same way, because I teach a drop in class Wednesdays 4 to 7 at theater. So I teach drop in class, and my drop in class is so that same way where I will see a play or I will read a book or I I will be inspired
0: by something in that same way. Dell had that confidence. Yeah, yeah. You can't be afraid to fail. You just have to just throw it out there and just play around with it, not bat it around a little bit and see what happens. That's what I do with my kids at Illinois State. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the best best workshops you can do Mm -hmm. Um, everybody's in it without an ego well yeah or else you don't last long right yeah
1: and I read something the other day uh, I'm reading this book called it's a horrible title until you realize who wrote it and it's called Search Inside Yourself and by Cheng Tan. and it's like oh my god Search Inside Yourself really and then you realize oh he is a major mojo a domo mojo domo at Google So that's why it's search inside yourself and it's about being mindful, being present and being mindful and present. And so all these books that are self-help books are actually improv books. They're books on improvisation, being in the moment, paying attention to the moment, not attaching anything to the emotions that you have other than recognizing the emotions you have that come up in that moment. Do you follow me on that? Yeah. Okay. So in this book, he's talking about the difference between like the idea of being self being confident. And how different it is than having a strong ego that will get you down. The confident person says this. I know what we're doing, but there's another way of doing it. I know what we're doing, but I need you to tell me how to keep doing that. Right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to Mm -hmm. this is the rigid way of doing it. Oh, yeah. And Dell, even though he was a, a mean motherfucker at times, I always felt like when I thought outside of my
0: historic this historically I would think I would be encouraged to do that absolutely I mean that's the one thing I always fight against is that rigid thinking it's got to be done this way and right no other way and right yeah you've got to be one of the things that I uh, did when I was working with John Cleese was helping with all of his corporate speeches he does a speech on creativity I saw that online which that there was one that I saw
1: online where he's talking about the writing process and then getting together and doing the writing process, but there were two speeches. Uh one
0: was, one was on creativity and one was on mistakes—the importance of mistakes. Maybe it was mistakes. The creativity speech, though, is so good, and, it, and it's available online, I believe. It's around there. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he does it for he does it for uh, you know his corporate gigs, mm-hmm. but there's they've chopped it up and it's bits of it on YouTube all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but that's the thing, the most, you know, if you want to be creative, you have to, one of the keys is being playful. Right. And if you can be playful, you'll, you're you going to be creative. There's a lot of uh, a lot of the same traits, because he's done all the research, right. you know, all, the, all the university people, everybody that's done any kind of creativity research, uh, you know, John's incorporated all of that. And I took the, some of the speech, and I'm working it into uh, basically like a workshop. For improvisation. Some of the stuff, you know, doesn't work for improv. I mean, part of it is time. You know, if you're thinking about a problem, you will wait over, you know, think about it and then wait overnight. Mm -hmm. And when you get up in the morning, you know, whatever seemed like this huge insurmountable problem just is right there. Right. You know, right. And that doesn't work so well for improvisation. No, that would,
1: although that would be like the Nicholas Nickleby of improvisation. You give us a suggestion, and it's going to, and eight hours later, we're going to have a show. That's right. Okay, Okay, but keep going.
0: Yeah, and so, uh, but there there are other things like the whole playful element, right? Uh, that opens up your brain, and you're able to like all of a sudden do things with if you if you were there with like minded people. That's what's so important.
1: I'm I'm smiling because first off I'm glad that you're here, and another reason I'm smiling is I think about what we did at what you were doing and what we were all doing at um, Splatter Theater. Yeah. And you yes. had a meat puppet theater. Is that right? That's right. And uh, so, so when you say like minded people, we have a show where 17, 15, 17 people are killed on stage at the same time with some of the most creative ways of dying. <laughs> and then in between, one of, there were two intermissions. One intermission was Tim Slagle dressed up like a Nazi drag queen smoking yeah. a cigarette. And that was intermission, and he yeah. couldn't leave the room. And the other one was you had a little puppet theater. And it was
0: a, it was a chicken. used a chicken, a pork chop, uh, usually a couple of pork chops, and whatever else would be handy. Yeah. So know. it was, it was a chicken that you would get a full chicken, feathered. Yeah, what you, is it feathered? If the feathers are taken off, occasionally we had them. With, with, occasionally they were with feathers. Most of the time, right. it was easier to buy them. You know, if right. you just got them plucked. Right, they were plucked.
1: Plucked—that's the word. Yeah. So you would have meat puppet theater that you would do, and you would take out this meat, and you would take out the chicken, and the chicken would be having an argument with pork chops or whatever the fuck it would be.
0: Maybe take it. one of them would have a cleaver, and they would just be a brutal attack. <laughs> it was just—I always like the the comedy of uh, inanimate objects. Uh, that's why. I used to do something. Well, I did something a couple of times at the uh, at the Improv Olympic called the Nike Family, where mm-hmm. we would there would be these flats, and you know when we needed a game or something, I would just go and I would just put my shoes up on top of the flats, and then a couple of guys would join me, and we would just <laughs> we would do pupp- or, uh, shoe puppetry, basically. Very <laughs> shoe, <laughs> <puppetry. laughs> shoe puppetry. Yeah. Shoe puppetry. And, and, it, and all of that is all about
1: opening up your mind. And what also works for for me with that is. Um, the, the, that the okay, those images. Let's take those images. Let's take the meat puppets. And let's take the chicken, <laughs> and we'll take the pork chops or lamb chops, or whatever it's going to be. And let's take the shoe. And then let's look at the animation that Terry did in uh Monty Python. Monty Python. Yeah,
0: yeah. And the connections that we had there, and the inspiration that came out of that. Yeah, it's all about creativity. It's all about being able to open up your mind and not say no and not be rigid thinking, no, we can't do that. We have to do three scenes and then we'd have to do a game that we've been taught and then we have to do three more scenes. Right. You know. Right. No, it's it's all about opening things up. Right. It's being able to step out of a scene and be an outrider and But it's also about you having I look at what you you've done and your connection with Monty Python
1: and the idea that you you had and this is all speculation on my part. <laughs> you had this idea of like I like those guys. I'm gonna see what's going on. And then what happened? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And you did, and so, when you first,
0: how did that happen of you connecting with those guys? With the Python? Yeah. I was a fan. You were a fan, and then what did you do? Well, uh, I stalked them. Right. Very very benignly. But but you stalked them analogly. Yeah, it it was just way before. uh, Right,
1: stalking got easy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's very weird because... I, I want to start with this: a love okay. for those guys, a passion, a passion uh, for those yeah, guys, a passion for what they were doing comedically. Right. uh spoke to you. Yeah, yeah, it's it it just touched something within me. Right. It was, and uh, I wasn't alone, obviously. Right. We were talking before about uh, you know being able to see something and not know it or being or knowing that there was something going on there mm-hmm. you know like with cross currents this was also with cross currents where i probably started yes yeah and yeah. that's where i that's how i know you from cross currents but keep going oh, i just want to give yeah. people oh yeah yeah i know yeah. i could be here for days talking <laughs> about this stuff right uh, but uh, yeah that was the thing with the with the pythons i mean when i first saw them, the, the First TV show that aired over here on PBS it was just a fluke that I happened to catch it, and I just realized, hey, this is something new and different and odd, and it's quirky, and not That's everybody hilarious. is going to like this, but the right. people who do are the right people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, and so I was able to bring that to Python or to uh, the IO also right. with my background. I've, I've got a very weird eclectic background. I mean, I just I realized I've. Uh, I was on stage with the first house team of the Improv Olympic. I was on stage with Monty Python. I was on stage with the committee. I worked with Jonathan Winters. I mean, if you look at that improvisationally, that's a huge mishmash. Howard, I mean, it's, it's, uh, when you look at the Venn diagram, the center of all yeah. those things is you just saying
1: yes. Absolutely. Is you saying there's a joy at the core of not knowing, and not knowing is just something that we call living our life. Do yeah. so, you understand what I mean?
0: Yeah. a so lot of, If ahead. you leave the doors open, anything gonna happen. Right. So say, let's leave the doors open. Always. Always. Yeah, that's what you have to do. You live your life that way, and it's always going to be more interesting.
1: Right. Um,
0: and I think that there are a lot of people
1: who will instinctively Instinctive, which is your instinct is going to fuck you over, instinctively will say no to something and not give themselves the opportunity that, that, um, this in this Cheng Ming, Cheng Mi Tan book, I'll call it this book that I'm reading from this point forward. Um, he, he has something called the sacred pause, and it's not. P-A-W-S, it's P-A-U-S-E. And it's a sacred pause. The sacred pause is that moment that something strikes you and you taking that moment to take it in. Emotionally, you're feeling this thing, something happens, and you go, I was just changed, and that's a sacred pause. And sacred only in the way that you have to look at it and stop yourself. So for you, for all of us, in whatever it is that we're doing, cre- creatively, we jump to a point. We get to a point, and we go, "Wait a minute!" No, historically, I would say no to that. Yeah, I mean, I'm at least going to
0: stop and look at it. I might still say no to it. Well, you don't want to do something that's going to get you killed, for example. But, but you, right, yeah, you know, you went to Tunisia. At that point, I went to Tunisia with the pythons. Right? Yeah. Did you know? Uh, but you did, did? You go with the pythons, or you went to Tunisia and the pythons were there? Well, John thinks it's the latter, right. but it's uh, it was. <laughs> I, I, I was a little more, a little more cautious than that, and but it was the Python them in some way. Yeah. Well, what happened was I had done this Monty Python fanzine. I'd met the Pythons all backstage at the City Center originally in '76. Where's the City Center? That's in New York, Fifty uh-huh. Fifth Street, maybe. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think it's still there. But they did their live show there on Broadway for I don't know six weeks. So I went back and I'd met them all. I'd originally met Terry Jones and Graham Chapman. In Chicago at the Holy Grail premiere. I was at the Holy Grail premiere. Were you really? Yeah. I was there at the what's that? The Carnegie Theater. Yes. And, and Oak. this oh,
1: oh we didn't even thought about this in a real So I'm in line with my friend Bo Jacobs and we're in line and we hear that the first five hundred people get coconuts. Yeah. Free yeah. coconuts, right? Crazy, mm-hmm. why not? So we go in there, and I had no idea what was going to happen because I thought <laughs> I was just watching a, a movie. And they just opened up that day, and oh. the, the and the lights go down, and the lights come up, and there's Graham Chapman and uh, Terry, Terry, Jones. And Terry yes. Jones in there, and they did q and A Q&A or yeah, right at the beginning, right at the was beginning. Like, we're all going, what the fuck is happening <laughs> right
0: now? <laughs> that, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I was there. Wow, were you there at the first show, or were you there at the uh, second or third? It was during the it was during daytime. Okay, because so. I was there for the first show. I was there, maybe I don't know, 10, 12 people back in line at the very beginning. And what I did because I was a kid and I can get away with this, but you, know, I brought also, a, but car- you, you didn't know no at that time. Yeah, yeah, and so I did a little carved coconut for him, and I went and we sat in the first row, my buddy and me, and I just you know and I. Gave him this. Did a question and gave him a carved coconut. And so there's pictures of me at this Carnegie Theater with the theater man. That really sounds familiar to me. me.
1: That really, really sounds familiar. I should show you those pictures.
0: Yeah, yeah. wow, you could have been there. I could have been there. So um, keep
1: going, keep going. So because uh, because when when I when I think about your connection there, of all the people that I know that have connections with with People that I'm inspired by, you're you're the top right there because like it's it seems like you know Queen Elizabeth, you know like One those guys of for me. Kind of, I'm, what I'm saying, yeah. is those guys for me, those guys for me, the Pythons for me,
0: changed my life. Yep, they and, certainly changed my life. Right? Yeah, yeah, they did. I mean, it was they. Then there's so many people that I talk to in comedy that you would never suspect. That, you know, just that the Pythons made their careers or made them what they I are. Mean, Jeff Garland says the Pythons were his best comedy Oh, I could see that influence. for sure. I
1: could see that for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you kind of can. But well, he's, know, ca- he's got that mind that, that
1: you know, the fact yeah. that he had a show called I Want Somebody to Eat Cheese With, Yeah, you know, that's that. his, you know, going, well, that's not a normal show. Now. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, he did Half My Face as a Clown. Was that him? That was Bob Odenkirk. That was Odenkirk. Think, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Half okay. My Face as a Clown. Sure. What? All right, anyway. That's how I met Jeff originally was staying at Bob's place uh-huh. in New York uh, when they were doing SNL. But this is really digressing weirdly. It's uh, the ADD comedy. Yeah. You know, it's not like we keep on track here. Yeah, it's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. And so what I do is I filter the Python, or the Python stuff influences filtered through me, and it comes out through the improv. Right. And that's what we all do. I mean, we all have our influences. Right. Everybody that we've watched, everybody that we've worked with, and it all comes out, you know, in a, in a weird little Venn diagram-ish way. Right. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, that's, why, that's what I've been doing with some of my writing now. I've got a... Uh, so you're writing non you're writing fiction now. I just started, yeah, I started writing fiction. I've uh-huh. got a, a book called The Last of the Time Police. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, right now it's two books and it might be a trilogy. So is it, it's, is it, um, is it about time travel? It is very much about time travel, but it's it's a kind of a. I consider it to be, or I, my aspiration was for it to be like the uh, the Douglas Adams mm-hmm. approach to time travel, mm-hmm. whereas what you know what he, we know what he did with uh, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide, uh-huh. yeah. And this is it, what I ended up wanting to do was and this was nineteen ninety nine, I think. I thought you know I've never written a novel before. I don't know if this will work or not, but I'm gonna if I write a page a day. By the end of the year, I'll have a book. Right, it might not be a good book, but it'll be a book. <laughs> right, right. and so I wrote this book, and and then uh, right about that time, John Cleese contacted me to come out and you know to be his assistant in Santa Barbara. So I put the whole thing aside. Right, and so just within the last couple of years, I pulled this thing back out and said, eh, "There might be a book or two in this." Well, it's
1: it's what your wife did with you with your idea for the screenplay for uh, "Funniest Guy in the Room." Is that did I get the title right?
0: Okay, yeah, "Funniest One in the Room." Funniest yes. One in the Room,
1: where your your
0: wife's, where you're going? I don't know about this, and your wife said, "I think this is a book. It wants yeah. to be what it wants to be, right?" Exactly. I tried to do it as a as a screenplay. Um, I showed it to sh- I was. I'd been talk, dialoguing with Sharda mm-hmm. and with Steve Burroughs, because Steve was really interested in directing it. Right. And, uh, you know, and it just, we never quite cracked it. It's interesting, because, again, it goes back to, it didn't want to be cracked in that way. It wanted to be cracked, but not in that way. Yeah. And Steve Burroughs also told me, you know, this is a book. Right. Know? And he was absolutely right. It's so interesting, going back to those guys, Um
1: Man alive! I, you know, it's it. For people to sit and listen to this, if you don't know who these people are, it might be frustrating. But I want I want people to get the energy that I feel towards everybody. That's what I want to impart. Because everyone was listening to each other, and because everyone was present to each other, and because everybody on that stage was so goddamn smart, so smart,
0: intelligent, smart, that kind of smart. And we listened, and we remembered, and you know, five minutes later, we would be able to use what we had just heard. Your inventory, that which you yeah. set up, and the thing is that your the knowledge of
1: like your knowledge and Pasquese's knowledge and Honor's voice, and like later on, and Burroughs the you know h- the characters that he played, and Bill Russell, and uh, you, John know, you know Judd and Brian E. Crane, exactly, and just, yeah, and these guys again were were. were Watching you all play with each other was
0: the model for all of us to play with each other. That's really nice to hear. Don't you I, agree with that? I think so. I think, it, I think that's how you guys ended up doing what you guys did. Because you guys picked up what we were doing and just carried it, kept carrying it on. Right. And everybody took it a little bit further, a little bit further, and, you know, it's still going today. It's still going today. And yeah. it goes back to, again, it goes back to Dell, but really
1: it goes back to Sharna. Yeah. As Dell's gu- uh, guide in a way, but not a spiritual guide, but more of as, as a factual museum tour guide. To, to not say, listen, if you just let everything go, but more on the lines of Dell, we're coming here. Dell, this person is this. This is this person's name. Would you stand over here? You have a class this day and this day and this day and this day.
0: Yeah. Dell just er, shot up ran his life so that Dell could be creative. Exactly. exactly Sharna saw did. that Dell was thatable. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's really, it's really amazing because with Dell's life, if she would have come along a couple of years before that, you know, before he'd quit the booze, before he'd quit, you know, the hard stuff, uh, yeah, she would have walked away. Right. You know, it would have right. been a huge disaster. Right. Yeah. And look what happened. Everything clicked. Everything worked perfectly. And right. it meshed the way it was supposed to. Right. Yeah. And Dell's, Dell's interaction with Second City needed to explode
1: in order for him to go over here. Yeah. Yeah. He needed to explode at that, that place. And everyone needed to be done with everyone so that we
0: started this new thing. Yeah. Because so much was built on the I.O. I mean, it was like. I did yeah, the second the improv Olymp- Yeah, right, I know. Right. I, I no, I'm just I saying because at that it. time it was called Improv Olympic. Now yeah, it's called IO. Yeah, and it's and it's when not. did it change? when
1: did it change? It changed. I think when literally when the lawyers from the Olympic Committee said yeah. you can't do that anymore. Did you know that?
0: Did you know that? Yeah. So it was at some the way, Olympic or Committee another. said you cannot
1: do this, and they went, "Are you kidding me?" And they went, "No."
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. I thought, I think they had warned her once before and then they just kind of let it slide or she ignored it. Then right. then they came back at some point. I don't Was right. it the IO before Dill died or was it just, a I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember either. Were you there when he died? Oh you yeah. His, his well, dead? I was at the party, the party, yeah. the party, at the party. And then there were like six or eight of us that went up to his deathbed to say goodnight. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. What
1: was that? Um, I'm going to be specific on this question. Um, That was a surrendering.
0: That wasn't a sad thing. No, no, it was. It was. It was pretty amazing. They brought him downstairs. We were all in the basement of this of the hospital cafeteria with the the big room. There, where they, it was just a great party, and Dell just summoned up all the energy. And were you looking at him, saying, "This man's done"? I didn't quite think he was. Quite ready, but what do I know? Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because he just looked so good at this party. I just <laughs> thought, you know, he's going to lay I think he may last a little while longer. Uh-huh. And then, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, the camera crew had gone away, and everybody else had kind of started drifting off. And who was there? Somebody was left. Like, well. I think Sharna was kind of came up to me and she said, "You know, I don't like you to come up and say good night." So and you know, and she, it was myself. It's all in the it's all in the book. Read the funniest one in the room. Mm-hmm. A little book plug there. Uh, and I, Bill was there, Murray Dave Pasquese, uh I think Larry Colvin and and uh, Ed Greenberg. Oh, um, that's right, Ed Greenberg. Barbara Harris was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, who else? So one or two other people there along I had the lunch with Greenberg not too long ago in right LA. Like, oh, that is great. Talk. Yeah, he's really great. Yeah, I yeah. I think yeah. We'll yeah. up in our conversation, but keep going. Oh, I hope so yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, so we all went up to Dell's room, and the lights were pretty down. It was quiet. We all kind of gathered around, and you know, and we literally just kind of like gathered around his bed, just, just this final group, and you could just kind of see it was almost like somebody was let there was a slow leak in the balloon and it was just kind of like all the energy that he had summoned up to be big and to perform at this party was all just kind of leaking out and just kind of going away mm-hmm. and so you know we just you know you, we have, just have all said our goodbyes to him have
1: had have you had you up to that point ever been through that with somebody
0: no i don't think i had um it was very odd. That the, I mean, the whole week before, up leading up to that, was a little strange. From the time he was in the hospital, because there were, I mean, there were people coming and going, uh, you know, up to his room, and you know, and and, you know, some people were hanging around. There were students there. There were people that had known Dell for like you know two weeks or so that he just started a class with, mm-hmm. and then there were people that had that had known him for you know 20, 30, 40 years. Right, and so. He uh I asked Adele, what can I do? What can I do make you comfortable? What can you know, what can I get you? Anything. And he said, I would like some lime sherbet. It's so, okay. <clears throat> and I so I left the hospital, left Illinois mazonic and I walked around the neighborhood and closest I could find some rainbow sherbet. That was the closest I could come. And it took me about <laughs> forty five minutes or an hour. And I realized maybe this is because there's just too damn many people there. He's just trying to get rid of people. So I I can see. I'm Sherbert. And then right. just left. Yeah. I'll see you later. Don't right. It? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a really weird thing because there were just apparently it was just nonstop people coming in, people calling. I, uh, I informed all of his, uh, all the guys from the committee because I knew. And that's what brought Ed there. Uh, well, Ed probably knew through Sharon. Ed was uh-huh. one of Dell's closest friends uh-huh. from back in the '60s. Might have been, you know, he was kind of like a protege of Dell's mm-hmm. when he was directing at the committee. Um, so I, had, I'd interviewed Howard Hessman a couple of years before, so he was my key to the committee. I was able to tell him that, and then I got a hold of Robin Williams by way of uh, Eric Idle, mm-hmm. and so Run Robin was, well, what can you, what can we do for him? What does he want? You know, and I'm, so it, you know, and I just sent him up there to call, and uh, so Dell was getting these calls, all these celebrity-type calls, all these, you know, comedy legend kind of calls, you know, the whole time, the whole time he was up there pretty much, and, you know, and uh, Sharna was talking at one point, you know, well, we're talking about a hospice for him, we'll take him home, and then the next thing I knew, she said, look, we're having this party, uh, I said, well, is it? I don't know if I can make it up tomorrow. Uh, no, you better make it up tomorrow. Oh, There's oh, not oh, going to be another oh, party. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. And so it was so odd uh, because everybody was just, it was a celebration. It was, it was a living wake. Right. But it really was. And right. everybody could talk to the corpse. Right, right, right. Yeah. Talk, talk to the
1: talking corpse. Yeah. Talk yeah, to the yeah. talking corpse. The idea of watching someone
0: surrender Yeah. is crazy. Well, Dell was ready. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I I remember uh, I I took him out to a comic convention in Rosemont years before that, like in the 80s or so. You guys bonded over comics? Comics, well, the real reason he latched on to me was he found out I would have guessed it would have been Python, but it was because I used to write a little for Fangoria magazine, uh-huh. and that's what—that's <laughs> what really got it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Talk to Sharna. You need to come start coming to my classes. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, so, that, and that's what I did. Um, oh, where was I? We were talking about. We're, I was talking about watching somebody. Oh, watching right. somebody. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the thing. So I went out there, and I remember Dell was talking with Mike Gold, who is. Later, became his comic book editor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, I'll, 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 be, you know, I'll be gone before I'm fifty-five. And at this time, he was probably 50, 51. And he, you know, so he was ready for it for right. a long time. Right. He never thought that he was going to last as long as he did. I no, think. I, I think that that you know, I was,
1: uh, I, I read, I read bits of your book because I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to see him. But we're going to talk so much more than about your book. But in, in the, the people that are. Um, you have at the beginning talking about the book and the concept, the book and the, and the subject of the book that being Dell, and someone saying he is so not known by the majority of people, but so influenced so many people.
0: Yeah, I mean you see that every every now and then, like in, in jazz music, there'll be somebody that, or the blues, somebody nobody's ever heard of, but all the people that you know and admire, you know, worship this guy. Right. You know, there's right. always these seminal influences, right? And uh, it would be again that Venn diagram. I love Venn diagrams
1: because you look at the center of those things. You go, this person, and what is it? What is it that connects those people?
0: Yeah. There. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, it, with Dell, I mean, you've got the Saturday Night Live crowd. Right. You've got all the people that are big in the movies and the TV now, and it's it's a generational thing now, because it's hard to believe, but he's been gone almost 15 years. There's so many, and there's people teaching at the I.O. that, you know, have only heard the Dell stories. Well, there's, the, have you been in the I.O. in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a two-story mural of Dell. Yeah. And I think that people just look at him and go, that must be who the what? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so weird. So many people don't know. I mean... Nothing matters, I and mean, it does. It matters, but it doesn't matter. Because what really matters is, at this
1: moment, we're doing this thing that he
0: brought to us. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a religion kind of thing. It except really, it's not as much of a cult of personality. N- but it's a religion. It, 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 yes, right, right. And mm-hmm. that's what I worry. That's what I
1: was worried about for a while. There, that there was a cult of personality when I would hear people that were on your team say things like, "Well, Dell would say," and it's like, "Wow, you got to let that go." Yeah. Because again, it's not about the personality. This isn't Scientology. Yeah, exactly which is really what that is. And the fact and it's so interesting that Dell and L. Ron Hubbard knew each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of been blown up a little bit over the years but it is true I mean, it they didn't go that. camping together
1: but you know <laughs> what i mean but it was like there 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 is there, there there's a nice little yeah. connection there, oh yeah you and know. apparently
0: the scientologists were going to bring him out to one of their get togethers or something if he would have lived a little bit longer just uh-huh. to hear him talk about elron right yeah but uh, no, but it's true. Dell was because uh, Aron was a science fiction writer, right? Basically, and so Dell was a fan, and he found out. Uh, Dell used to, <laughs> he studied out in uh, Colorado at one point one summer, uh, theater. You know, because he's was, he was pretty talented performer back then, and he uh, he met this girl who lived in somebody someplace else in Kansas, but it was uh, she turned out to be Anita Corso. Mm-hmm. Who was from the Andy Griffith show uh, uh-huh. later on, and <laughs> they would be going, getting on a bus to go visit her, and he would change buses. I can't remember the city, wherever it was that, uh, but Elron lived there, and so he arranged to go over to Elron's house and get you know all of his books signed. That was the the biggest Elron connection. I don't know if he ever met him more than once, but who know, has his books? That Larry Coven. Larry Coven does have his books. He sh- yeah, he will, Larry. All of his books, except for his biographies, his biographies he willed to Susan Messing. Of course, um, because Susan Messing's into biographies. Yeah. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, we're in his will. He, he willed <laughs> me his artwork and his toys. Although, I didn't know I was willed to toys. I knew I was getting his artwork. And so, it was like locusts running all over his, his, his or cockroaches running all over his apartment. Like Before, the day after before he you got his toys. Yeah. So, well, I didn't know I was supposed to take them, or I would have like gotten his Original Game Boy and stuff like right, that. Yeah, Del close
1: original Game Boy? Yeah, yeah,
0: but it was model <laughs> robots or his, you know, pinhead. Right, you Hell can't Racer
1: even think about thing. those things right now. I just can't even think about those things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 that the idea of that that, his. Ins- I like looking at people and seeing. I know this sounds weird. Seeing people's flaws because then you say there's a humanity there. And in that humanity, I exist in that humanity as well. So what Dell has to offer, I have to offer in my own way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And he is a very special person, but he's a person.
0: Well, Dell had plenty of flaws. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, He never knew my name, Howard. <laughs> he never knew, knew Bill Russell's name for, until like he might have known it right at the very end. Like, yeah, I, I, this was like Bill had been studying with him for like oh, really studying longer so. than
1: I was studying with him. Yeah, right. And
0: then finally, just right toward the end, right when we were about to close the Honor Finnegan show, Bill comes up to me really excited. Yeah. Bill knows my name. Bill knows my name after thirty years. Um, I, I
1: think I was there two years, and then uh, I was there for two years, and I had some pot. And I said to Sharna, I said, got some pot, if you want to get high. And she goes, do you mind if I invite Dell? And I'm like, no, no, go invite Dell. And um, so I saw Sharna go up to Dell and to say, um, uh, I, you know, I saw her say, we're going to go in the back and get high. And mm-hmm. Dell was like, who's got pot? And Sharna said, my name. And he I saw a look on his face like, who? <laughs> and then Sharna said, you know, Dave was asking and maybe talked about a scene that I was in. And she went, I don't know that guy. Uh, he goes, I don't know that guy. he's like, he's been your student for a while. And then I saw Dell take his hand and make a big nose on his face? You mean this guy? And I'm trying to yeah, that guy. I was like, ah, oh, you fucker. I've known you for so long and you don't know my fucking name. That's crazy. Yeah. So looking at that, um, I don't. I learned, this is what I learned and this is what I hold on to. Know as much as you can know and know that you never know enough. And that's not to say the little lack, to say to be curious,
0: to do, to be curious about that. Oh yeah, yeah, you always want to keep you got to keep learning every day. Right. Uh, if you don't it's just like, you know, the shark that stops swimming, you know, you right. drown. You just got to keep moving yourself forward. And you're doing and, that in this novel that you're writing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, like I say, I mean, I knew Douglas Adams just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not terribly well. And I was always uh, kind of When interested. you say you know you know his work or you know him. Well, I knew him. Right. Um, first time I met him, actually, was in Chicago. We, uh, he had done a computer game called Starship Titanic, and Terry Jones had written the uh, the, the novelization of it. So they came in, in town to promote it. And so Lori, my wife, and I uh, you know, waited until the whole thing was. They did a QA and a and a signing and everything. And then the four of us went back to their hotel. They were staying at the Four Seasons down here. And... It, we we were asked several times to please quiet down by the management. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great, great night. And uh, so that's where I first got to know Douglas. And then, because Terry got to be pretty good friends with him. He knew all the pythons. He worked with Graham a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but that was the first time I'd actually met him. Then when I was living in Santa Barbara, when I was working with, with uh, John Cleese, uh, Douglas was was out there, and <laughs> this was so bizarre, uh, Alice Faye, Cleese, who was John's wife at that time, for some reason, when I started working out there, she got the idea that I was the computer guy. If she had computer questions, come and see me. So she calls me over there, and she's over at the beach house, and she's trying to enter all of the, uh, all the information for the Christmas cards, and I was pretty useless. I helped her a little bit, but I couldn't do a lot. Well, we just got to do something. We'll call Douglas. He knows about computers. So she calls Douglas, Adam's over. And Douglas comes over. So he was in Santa Barbara as well? He was living in Santa Barbara. Uh Yeah. And so between the three of us, we finally got these stupid Christmas cards done. And she's, well, I got to take you. So so she took us all to lunch, you know, to pay us back for helping her with her. Have you read Hitchhiker's Guide
1: at that time? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh Sure. Sure. Uh
0: Um, Yeah. Loved Hitchhiker's Guide. The the thing about Douglas was he was kind of like, he came along after the Pythons, and so he was looking up to them the same way that the Pythons looked up to the Beyond the Fringe guy. Right. You know, he was like next generation down.
1: It's so so interesting, that whole Beyond the Fringe and the Goon Squad? uh, Goon Show. The Goon Show. Pardon me. The Goon Show, I'm thinking about. Uh, The Goon Show, and this nugget brought that nugget to this nugget brought that nugget to this nugget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know it almost go back to some guy in a cave who had a pratfall i was like he that guy he does this thing where he falls it's like, that sounds injured, isn't it like bad? It's like, no, you got to see him do this fall. Yeah,
0: but he can't cave. fake it. It's got to look real. Yeah, it's got to be truthful. It, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's um, caveman Dick the Van Dyke. Rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> caveman Dick Van Dyke, right? Yeah, and as soon as people started laughing, then they started analyzing it, trying to figure out <laughs> why it works. <laughs> why did? Why is that funny, but this right, isn't. Right, right. You know. And then you got, if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's funny. Why <laughs> isn't it funny when I trip and fall and exactly. break my leg? Exactly. Yeah, but It's hilarious when that <laughs> right. only when the old lady does it.
1: Old lady does it, or my or a young kid. But when you have a middle-aged woman <laughs> falling downstairs, it's like there's nothing funny about a middle-aged woman falling downstairs. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But you give her 15 years, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> that's but there's right. that golden time where you go, no, that's not going to be. That's not going to be funny. But looking at uh, 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 looking at, um, at at Douglas and looking at uh, Terry and those people knowing each other and saying, that's fucking craziness. That's craziness. But of course that makes sense. And the physicality that the Pythons had and uh, Douglas's book about like, how smart that book was. Oh, yeah. And the time travel of that book. And um, Ford, what was the character's
0: name? Ford. Ah, uh, I haven't read it in a while. Ford. I don't even know. Yeah, like, I would, so the main character's name after a Ford car.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, but looking at all that stuff and, and how inspiring that is for me to be part of that, in that, cause I remember going to see Honor Finnegan. Uh, it was a play that Dell and Barron's put together, right, with honor yeah. Finnegan and Seeger. And I remember watching opening night and seeing Graham Chapman walk into the bar at I.O. and introduce himself to Bill Murray. Yeah. Am I remembering that? I believe I'm remembering
0: Well, that. what happened was Graham was in town. He was doing his doing his show at the Park West. Mm-hmm. He's, he he started doing this because I, he was uh, publicizing a book a while ago when he went to a screening of Holy Grail down at facets. Mm-hmm. And he asked me later if I could get a tape of that because he was thinking of putting, doing a you know, Q&A format show. Mm-hmm. And so he started doing this. He started touring college campuses, comedy clubs, places like that. Uh-huh. So yeah, so we were doing Honor Finnegan. Uh, I dragged, uh, Graham over to Cross Currents. It was on a Friday night. And so, and this was one of my prouder moments in comedy. I was able to, cause I, another friend of mine was sitting at the table with Graham and, uh, you know, Graham said, or she said, you know, every now and then Graham would lean over and say, "That's very good." Did Howard write that? That's great. Did Howard? Write... And so it's nice, you know, for him to be able to be able to see me perform. Mm-hmm. And then the following night, Graham did his show at the Park West, and he he came over afterwards, and and that's the night that Bill Murray was there. Right. And so I uh, did. You come to the party afterwards? Yes, yes. I did.
1: Oh, good. I walked I, This is what happened. I walked into the party. It was winter time, I believe. It was cold
0: out. It was spring because Bill Murray was in town to do the guest announcer at a Cubs game. Oh, okay. When Harry yeah.
1: Carey was For citrus. me, I remember being cold. And I remember walking into this apartment. Whose apartment was It mine. Your apartment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walking into your apartment. And um, and I open the door and I close the door and I'm chilled out. And a hand comes out to me with a joint on it. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm using it. And Graham <laughs> Chapman hands me a joint. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm smoking yeah. pot with Graham Chapman. And I'm gone smoking pot and Howard's apartment
0: would grab... That was your apartment. <laughs> oh, my God, explode. Well, it was really weird. That's it was crazy. A, yeah, yeah. Because like originally, we would do Honor Finnegan, then we do an improv set afterwards. Right. But for some reason, I didn't do the improv set, because I had to go home and get ready for this party, I guess. And so... I invited Graham and Bill and Dell and everything, and so there was. It started out with about a dozen of us sitting in chairs, just in a circle in the living room, and Dell was telling stories. Dell was holding court, right? And I remember they were Dell and Graham were talking about you know giving up booze and stopping drinking and stuff like that at one point. And then they would, and then they were talking about a lot of comedy that they liked. And Bill was right in there, of course. It was. uh, It's insane, man. Yeah, it's a nice little juxtaposition. It's nice to be able to set up something like that.
1: Well, it's that, and certainly it is, and that's great. And it's also, um, you never
0: know what's going to happen. That's (laughs) what life is about. (laughs) If you knew what was going to happen, what would be the point? (laughs) Yeah. That's great. All right, we're going to
1: stop there, because it can't get any better than that. Thank you so much.